Today we have some real special guests with us, friends of ours, all the way. Dun, 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 dun. Drum roll, please. All the way from Zambezi. <laughs> from Zambia. <laughs> really, babe? I don't have the Zambezi dance, but Kieran has the Zambezi dance. So he has it on his phone. That's hilarious. So we have Kieran and Jamie that are here with us today. Give them a big round of applause. And their family. And uh, their kids are with us. They're getting ready to fly back um, next week uh, for another couple of months, what, till the end of the year, November. And um, so we're going to chat with them in a little bit. Amen. Find out what's happening. I think we need some chairs on stage if I can get four chairs. That would be great. And uh, so we, where did we meet? was Pastor Caleb, right? So. And so we're going to have a fireside chat this morning. Yeah, we'll go up here. This is my favorite step. It's a $1,200, $1,500 step. It's a sub. And uh, it's really solid. I was told it's not a good thing to step on by my wife. But the sound guy told me it's perfect to step on. <laughs> you ready, babes? Yep, I guess so. I mean, should I bring my Bible? Everybody yeah, bring your Bible. Bible. And I think so. we'll scoot in a little bit so we're in the light. <laughs> Thank you for the scene change, guys. <laughs> so, we met a couple of years ago, right? Yeah. I think we're at Pastor Caleb's church. That's it, I think. I don't know if this is on. Is it on? It's on, okay, cool. I think it was at Pastor Caleb's church. and um, It was like 2016, I think. Yeah, I, I do remember Pastor Caleb being like, we, we went out for lunch with him and Kirsten, and he's like, I have the most amazing friends in Fort Pierce, you have to meet them. That's how, that's <laughs> that my was first, the intro. That was the intro. Need to send I don't remember what happened after that. <laughs> he, said, he said, Nick pays me for my reviews. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. And then you guys came to our... Conference was it yes. 2018 or was yeah. it 20? It was the 2018 conference. Mountains moving mountains. M mountains move that mountains we had move. over. I still have that T-shirt. You do? Yeah. And my sweat towel. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Yeah. And, and my mug. And oh, those mugs. Those mountain the, move mugs. That's, that has traveled Zambia like wow. no other mountain moves mug has ever traveled Zambia. Wow. <laughs> That's cool. I was trying to find the company that made those mics for me, but they're not in business anymore. Because I got them at a real good deal, and they're nice, they right? They're really nice. They can take a beating, I can assure you of that. <laughs> take a beating. So, in the last uh, year, what are some of the highlights that have happened in the last year, would you say? Well, big highlight for us as a family is we, the three years prior to 21, we, we built a mission base, or... So we built the base, we got the, we pioneered, we got the infrastructure, the, the uh, ministry started on a mission base in Zambezi, which, which was a million miles from anywhere. Um, we spent a lot of time on the ground doing the grunt work of, you know, you got nothing. We had 1,200 acres of untouched land, uh, eight hours from the nearest grocery store or hardware store. And... Um, Laser, laser eyes. <laughs> and uh, we, spent, we spent three years out there getting that base ready for our full-time staff from Overland who were going to move out there. And actually, when we started it, we didn't even know who that was going to be. Um, but last year, we transitioned from that base, put three families into that property uh, with their kids and, and everything, and handed over... The, the baton of that base. And we moved back to the place where we started, back to Rapid 14, which is Overland's flagship mission base in Livingston. Well, I say in. It's like, it's only 45 minutes outside of Livingston, the town. 
Um, and we moved back there, taking on a, a new assignment, which Phil, who's the founder of Overland, had asked us to take on. It's called the King Center. Um, and, and also the... Well, the building of the King Center we'll get into, but also the, a huge, huge highlight for Jamie and I last year, which, which is our... The building of the mission bases and stuff, I, I enjoy because I'm, I'm just more naturally like an outdoors kind of guy. You know, you're not going to find me, like, doing spreadsheets. <laughs> but I'll pick up a welding machine or I'll pick up a chainsaw. You know, like that's more my style. And slice spreadsheets apart. Um, and... But, the, but one of our main passions and our real driving force is the equipping and educating of our missionaries, of, of, of people who come into our mission um, and launching them as full-time uh, missionaries into our team and equipping them with the skills, not only the physical skills, but also the, the theological skills that they need to become full-time missionaries with Overland, knowing the DNA and the heartbeat of who we are as a team. And we've always looked at expanding our it's called advanced mission training. That's our in-house training of our, of our missionaries. And we've always looked at how do we expand that, how do we grow that. And we pioneered our second location for, for that as a full-time, um, uh, well, third, sorry, I mean, second outside location. Our third location for our mission school in the Middle East with our full-time teams out there. And Middle East is a whole, you know, it's a whole different ball game. It's 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 like ninja warrior, undercover missionaries, you know. <laughs> speaking of TikTok, I don't want to run away with this too much, but speaking of TikTok, our guys literally use TikTok to use the, to carry the gospel in those locations, and what they do is they've partnered with with guys who who produce these TikTok videos in Arabic, uh, Muslim-looking people who are Christians produce these videos, just poking the bear, asking challenging questions, 30-second, 45-second, one-minute videos go out all the time. And then people will respond on those videos and go, hey, you mentioned something about the prophet Jesus, blah, blah, blah. I'd like to hear more about that. That goes straight to our team, and they go out and, and secretly meet with these guys who have shown an interest in this. And, and it's using the, the most available technology and using social media against its own, you know, design, which is to pull people away from the gospel, and we're using it to bring people into the gospel. And, um, yeah, it's incredible. And, yeah, it was really exciting that last year, I keep saying this year, because you're right, it's, it just feels like 21 has just started. Right. And uh, we went and spent six weeks with our, our team in the Middle East, um, and brought 12 students through that, launched them, brought them back to our, our mission base in Zambia and launched them as full-time missionaries. And it was incredible. It was so different, but yet the heartbeat and the pulse was still the same. It was just amazing to see how, how amazing the ministry and how hungry people are in these closed-off nations for the gospel and how receptive they are to the gospel. It was really eye-opening for us because we've, we've been in Zambia for our whole adult mission life. Right. Um, but that was a huge highlight. So two big highlights for us, or three, I'd say, was handing over an active mission base, two teams who are going to be full-time on the ground, families, career-based missionaries, launching a new location for our mission training school, and then taking on the vision of building this project that we're calling the King Center. So um, how long have you been with Overland Missions doing, doing missions now? Um, personally, obviously, it's different because I met Jamie in Overland, so I'll let her share her side of it. But um, I, in South Africa, we have this huge culture of if you don't go to university, you'll never get anywhere in life, which I know is kind of similar to the States right now. Um, you need higher education. And I, I graduated um, university, and it was in my last year that I met guys from Overland on a little sneaky long weekend that I made extra long, as one does. Um, and I met some guys from Overland, and they invited me up. And that was, in, that was in 2005 when I first met the guys. And in 2006, when I'd fully graduated, I just, I just, I just went up there. I thought I was going to get paid. Did you go to um, Zambia? Yeah. yeah can, you, can you put that, that valley picture up for me, Lexi? So, so they invited me up there to this location. And they were, like, telling me about trucks and adventures and stuff. I was like, this is awesome. So I went up, and I was like, I literally had, when I graduated, I had no money. I had no job. 
I had a backpack and a mountain bike. I loved riding mountain bikes. And I had a tent that someone gave me. And I hitchhiked from South Africa to Livingston. And that was uh, a thousand miles uh, through two countries. But I got there. And I was like, woohoo, I'm here. You know, like. On a mountain bike? Well, I didn't Did ride Did you take it. your mountain bike with you? I took the mountain bike, the tent, and the backpack. Wow. And I, and I ended up there. And, and, and I joke, but, but it's, 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 it's actually a lesson that I learned a lot, is that God tricked me into being a missionary. Like, I didn't, like, have this, like, <laughs> like yeah, I'm going to be a missionary. Like, this is my lifelong goal. They were the first missionaries I'd ever met. I knew nothing about missions. I was going to be a geologist. That's what I'd studied. I was, I was going to make a lot of money in the mines, digging gold, you know? Um, and God obviously had a different treasure for us to dig. And, um, and, I, and, and he tricked me. And he tricked me because he hid... Jehovah's Sneaky. Jehovah's Sneaky. <laughs> he hid every single possible detail that I needed to know from me on that trip. He just gave me the adventurous side of it. Like, hey, this is going to be fun. You got nothing to lose. Just go up there and enjoy your time. And, and, I, and I say that jokingly, but I know that if I had have known that, A you have to raise your own support to be a missionary. No one's going to pay you, essentially, you know. B, you have to leave everything else behind, and you have to, you know, pick up your cross and go. All those sort of things and, and all the struggles and all the blessings. Like, if you had laid that all out before me, I never would have gone. There's no ways. As a young South African kid, I would have been like, man, if you don't have a college degree, you're not even going to survive in South Africa, let alone if you give up everything and go and live in the bush and ask other people to support you monthly. Like, are you crazy? That'll never happen. So God actually hid that for me because he knew where my faith was at, and he, and he drew me along with breadcrumbs. But my breadcrumbs were definitely like cake breadcrumbs. <laughs> <laughs> Little Oreo cookies. Cook yeah, cook systems. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and he brought me into this life of missions, and once I was there, I was hooked and just ended up staying on the mission field. Money became totally irrelevant to me once I once I tasted the, the fruit of what a life of missions was like. And then Jamie's story is a little bit different, of course. Um, she joined whatever I'll let you tell. Well, once we got married, money was no longer irrelevant to you. Just <laughs> putting it out there. It was irrelevant because we didn't have any. <laughs> <laughs> but so she didn't marry you for the riches then, huh? I it was just the looks. <laughs> I can proudly say it was all about the looks. Because <laughs> I had no money. <laughs> and torn jeans. <laughs> he did. He literally like duct taped his jeans together. And he had a tie. I remember he wore a tie to like a fancy a formal dinner. Event. A formal event. But like the tie came to like, I don't know, here. Yeah. It was like this little baby tie. I was like, <laughs> I need to help you. So I, I did I help roped her in. <laughs> Through the time. I, def I definitely My rugged him. good looks. <laughs> um, yeah, my story just feels a little no, lame in comparison to yours. Um, How did you get into missions, Mary? So I, honestly, I had, I think it was 20, 2007. I um, woke up one morning. I had recently rededicated my life to the Lord and I just, the Holy Spirit woke me up early and said, do a mission trip. And I was like, I have no idea how to do that. I was fairly new to my church and just had no connections. Um, and I went to work. I worked at a real estate office. I worked at the front desk. And the girl that I worked with was a believer. And I said, hey, I, like the Lord told me to do a mission trip. And she said, um, oh, my sister is really into missions, but she's never gone, but she watches the show called Travel the Road, which is on TBN. And I looked up Travel the Road, and they linked you to Overland Missions. And so it was, I honestly, I'm not kidding, it was that fast. I, like, wow. I went home that night, I looked up Travel the Road, went to Overland Missions, and signed up that moment. Same day. I, like I think it was the same day. Wow. I didn't. I didn't look at their theology. I didn't look at. <laughs> I didn't look at their beliefs. I had no idea what I was getting myself into, actually. And I raised money so quick. It was 
amazing, like above and beyond, you know, what I needed for this trip. And a non-believer gave me the most amount of money for my trip, somebody who does not believe in Jesus, which was amazing. And I, I went over to Zambia, and my bag never arrived, like never. I had to go to Pep and find clothes, which is just Pep. like this. Yeah. Guys, Pep is, how do you explain Pep, Havana? You can't. You can't. <laughs> it's, it's its own creature. You can't. You can't. Um, so, yeah, I, yeah, and I had, like, but, no clothes. I had no clothes. Also, when I arrived, we got, yeah. I, I got on this big daft truck. Also, I joined this team of, like, 40 people that I had never met. They all knew each other, but I didn't know anybody. And, um, gosh, I mean, I think if our daughter ever did that, I'd be like, no way. You're not going. <laughs> Listen, this is, not, this is not a good plan. Um, what about your parents? Did they say anything? My mom was super supportive. My dad was like, no, okay. never. You're never leaving America. You're never going to Africa. <laughs> like, you're never doing any of these things. But um, uh, anyway, the Lord worked on his heart <laughs> <laughs> through my mother. <laughs> like, yeah, because women have the superpower, right? Yes, right? they have a superpower. It's called uh, influence. Yes. So... I, we got to the base, we got to our base where we now live, and I remember my expedition leader said, it's time to set up a tent, mm. and I, I nearly, I like, tears welled up in my eyes, because I thought we would stay in, like, dormitories, and sleep in bunk beds, and I didn't know how to set up a tent, <laughs> I just, I was like, where are my high heels? They're back in America. And look, here I am in these like weird hiking sandals. And like, what do I do with my life? Stuff from Pep. <laughs> Stuff from Pep. <laughs> yeah, it was, anyway. So did that. At the time I did my expedition, which was amazing. We did three weeks over there. I, cr I was shoved in the back of a Land Rover when we left the base to go home to America. And I remember I was sobbing as, I as the road was, you know, the base was becoming more distant, and I knew I had to go back. And I was signed up for other things at the time. I was, um, yeah, I was either going to go to Heidi Baker in Mozambique, or I was, I was actually signed up for Bethel Redding's School of Ministry. And I went to an Overland conference um, later at the end of that year and signed up for the Advanced Mission Training School, and then met this guy. So that's what you guys lead. You had, you guys lead the advanced lead mission training mm -hmm. yeah. uh, development center, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, that's so. So essentially, what we do with with that is um, a lot of guys want to join or want to become a career, we call it a career based missionary or a generational missionary. That's the word we really like to use because we're not looking for full time missions to be like a, a, a two year stint where you just like it's like a fast. You're like, yeah. I cannot eat for two years and I'll preach the gospel, but then eventually I want to come back and get a real job and, you know, provide for my family. We, we, we are of the understanding that the Lord will provide for all of your needs on the mission field, which includes shoes for your kids and a skateboard if your kid wants it for Christmas or a Nerf gun. You know, like, like why should we on the mission field not be able to give our kids a Nerf gun, whereas the guy who's got a business back home can give their kids an Xbox? You know what I mean? It's like where's this vow of poverty from? Yeah. <laughs> you know? It's, it's not biblical. Um, and and we, we decided as a ministry that we're going to make sure our guys can survive on the field and it can be their career. In a, obviously, money's not the reason you're out there. And if it is, you're going to find very quickly that it doesn't work out that way. Because um, you give everything away, right? But you, exactly. Exactly. You, I mean, it's I, so hard whenever to I go over there... I had to come back with nothing. Yeah. You just hand everything, your shoes, your jackets, your suits. I mean, there's so much need, and there's always an ability to be generous. Um, but, but the Lord always provides, you know. As you guys know, He's always overflowing in His provision for you. And we bring, we, when we have people that want to join Overland Missions, we don't want them to just show up on our doorstep and be like, I'm a full-time missionary, like, where do I sign the papers? Like, we don't know you, you don't know us, we don't know your theology, we don't know your skill set, you don't even know what we believe in, like with Jamie joining us. There's no relationship. Um, and, and running people through a mission training school is, the way I best describe it is, if every mission organization played by the same rules 
we could call it American football. It's a terrible analogy. It's the best one I can come up with. Um, we, we're the Steelers, someone else is the Patriots, someone else is the Miami Dolphins, whatever team you're at, you know. Um, we all should play the same game, you know, as missions organizations worldwide. But we all will have a different uniform, we'll all have a different offense, a different defense, a different coach, a different strategy, different pay structures. But in, in essence, as missions organizations worldwide, we should all have the end goal being get the ball across the line, or in our case, bring the, the full gospel to the people that need to hear it and disciple them in the truth. So Overland Missions, we're a team, and we go, wait, you need to know what our jersey is, we need to know what our strategy is, you need to know who we are, but we also need to know if you're the right fit for our team, you know? And in the training school, we run through a lot of theological subjects, a lot of uh, baseline stuff that you would expect people to know on the mission field, but they mostly don't know, you know? Stuff like, stuff like that's basic, but it's so foundational that we have to lay that foundation. And then we, we get into some of the nitty-gritty of cross-cultural communication sort of styles of, of subjects where we're teaching people, like, you can't convey the same message that you would on the streets of America to the streets of Zambia. People don't have that same reference point. So how do you take the same message and communicate it accurately in an environment where it's not familiar to you? Um, how do you, for example, like, drive to a village and you hit a four-wheel drive sort of terrain, how do you negotiate that in your vehicle? What happens if your vehicle breaks down? How do you fix your vehicle? What happens if someone on your team, you know, breaks a leg? How do you fix that? Or how do you get them back to safety? Uh, what happens if you sit in front of a chief? How do you, you know, appropriately minister to a person of higher um, status? And we go through all that in the three-month training. But the big thing on that three-month mission training that we run is, our students are on an active mission base with missionaries who live their life. So it's the dinner time talks, it's the fireside chats where it's like guys come in from, the, from a, two weeks out in the villages and they're telling stories about what happened and the students are like, well, I'm learning a bit about this in class but I'm sitting around the campfire going, oh my gosh, this is real. Like, you know, I get to see the good days of missionaries. I get to see the day the guy's car broke down, he dropped a hammer on his toe, no one was at the village that he showed up to and he had a bad day. And yeah. you go like, this is life. This is who we are. We get to see the moms, the moms educating their kids and the dads, you know, throwing ball with their kids. Like, it's like real life on the mission field. And people get to see who Overland Missions is, and then we get to assign them in that three-month training to a location that we've built out and pioneered. Let me just say, um, we're our, I feel like Overland Missions is a little unique in that everybody that comes through our school, we have a place people. We always have a place. We always have an assignment to give them, and we just don't have enough people as it is. Yeah. We have 80 people in the pipeline of fundraising, of support raising, and it's just, I mean, that's such a small amount of people. We need so much more. And there are a lot of missions organizations that will train you, and this is not to be critical of them, but they, they don't have a place to put you. So people go through this perpetual training, just mm -hmm. perpetually. And then at the end of the day, there's not an assignment for them. So they have to go to another training or they end up back in their original hometown. Um, yeah, so it's... it's wow. It's, we're, it's, a, yeah. it's a means to an end for us. The training is not what it's about. It's about where we're going to place you and who we're going to put you with in the assignment. So how many mission bases do you guys have right now? That's okay. We've got a lot. Um, w countries would be better. Um, we're Eight in, countries. Yeah, so we're in, in sub-Saharan Africa. We're in um, Zambia being our, our flagship. That's where we started. That's where the most things, that's where our most outlying mission bases are too. Probably got six or seven massive outlying bases in Zambia. We're in Angola with two or three mission bases. We're in Mozambique with one insane on the blue waters, white sandy beaches mission base. I mean, it's just a holiday camp. I don't know what people do there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's horrible. Never go to Mozambique. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we have DRC Congo with a mission base there. Wow. Um, and, and that's sub-Saharan Africa. Oh, Tanzania, Zanzibar, mission base, Tanzania mainland. Um, and then you move up north, we're in, we've just launched into Egypt, full-time mission base. Uh, I don't know, we're, we're not live streaming, are we? Um, we've, we're in Middle East locations. We're in Southeast Asia locations that are... Un 
and yeah, we're in, we're in Cambodia, we're in, we're in um, Brazil full time, and places like that. So we're, we have a, what we'll say with Overland Missions is we have a big, what we would call a big footprint. Yeah. It's not really always, it's heavy in certain places, but it's kind of light in others because we need to keep pushing people in. But we, we've, we've spread ourselves all over the world. How the many moment. missionaries do you guys have on the teams, more or less, that uh, are out there? Yeah, so no Western missionaries, as in like Americans, South Africans, people who fundraise, support, and become a career-based missionaries. I think we're at 250 with people in the pipeline coming through. But on the ground, because our missionaries then raise up local missionaries, and we fund them and we train them, we have probably close to 1,000 of those guys. Those are our sector managers and leaders. Yeah, That's amazing. Yeah, and, and it is, it's one of those things where, where um, you know, one person can then influence a, a region by raising up disciples. Those people then can influence an entire you know, the entire area so quickly, and we, we do it that sort of a way, yeah. So tell us a little bit, what is it like to have family on the mission field? Do you want to go? Yeah, I can go. Family. <laughs> well, I actually recorded a podcast for our organization about this very thing, about raising a family on the field, because I get so many questions and one of the recurring questions I get is, do you take your kids with you? Well, of course I take my kids with me. That would be <laughs> so ridiculous to leave them for eight months, you know, with my parents. <laughs> like, only see them four months of the year. It would be weird. Um, and, I, and I realize um, other missionaries will send their kids to boarding school. If you're in Africa, it's primarily at a place in Kenya. But, I mean, that's for other reasons. That's because they need, you know, good high school education. But taking our kids with us, I mean, I've never, I've just never had any other thought. Like, why would you not take your kids with you? Because Kieran and I really stand on the fact that it's not just he and I that are called. Our children are called with us. We're called as a family unit. And, I mean, our kids were born over there. They've been raised over there. They, they like, bleed Africa. They love, they love Zambia. The, the dirt is still in their heels from November. I mean, it just doesn't come out. It embeds itself into your skin and you can't scrub it out. But it, people think, or people ask, you know, what about malaria? What about yellow fever? What about dengue? What about, you know, the snakes and the bugs? And I mean, this, these are the most common questions I get. And I have just always trusted the Lord with my children. And they have encountered snakes, and they have encountered scorpions, and they have, um, Ellie had typhoid at one point, and that was a little scary, I'll admit, but I mean, look, she's fine. She's playing in kids' church now, so, yeah, <laughs> um, I, yeah I mean, I remember when we were pioneering that, that mission base in Zambezi, when you're doing all of this construction, when you're clearing the ground, where do you think all the critters are going? Well, they're all like trying to go somewhere else, which means they're moving around on your property a lot, trying to find safety away from you. And we lived in this caravan, this off-road caravan, and we had um, this mat on the floor for the kids to play on and around. And I remember we were, um, our caravan was just a couple of feet from this one tree. And in that tree was something that I, I didn't know that something was there. Anyway, but we were playing on the, on the ground and this snake came through our little play area. And I didn't know what it was, so I alerted some of the workers and they went to look for this little snake, which turned out, turned out to be harmless. But in the meantime, when they were looking for snakes, they found a super poisonous snake in that tree just a couple feet from my tent. And that snake, there's no... Um, anti-venom for, for that bite. And the Lord just used this situation of like, hey, let me just forewarn you that there are snakes around. You need to be careful. And I was like, well, that's just, you know, the Lord protecting us. He was not going to let my children, you know, get bit by that snake. Same story in Cambodia. They were always playing next to this little concrete area. And inside that little concrete area, just a foot from them was this cobra that lived in there. And at any point could have come out and, you know, bit them. But... Um. Yeah, I think, you know, for us, uh, raising kids on the field, that's their norm. You know, when they come to America, it's like holiday, and they're often like, when can we go home? 
Um, <laughs> you know, because it's fun for them to be here, but they miss their friends. They miss, like, Caleb's like, can I light a fire in the driveway? I'm like, no, you can't. Like, no, it's America, dude. Like, the fire truck's going to come and put it out. He goes, but I'll make a small one. I'm like, hey, just hold up. We'll be back in Zambia soon, you know, like... Like he, that's what he wants. He wants to be out lighting fires and wants to be like in his little element. I just laughed that our kids were barefoot up here praising and worshiping, you know, uh, because that's their style. But um, Jamie and I, we actually, for the first 10 years of our lives, we lived permanently in Zambia. And it was, it was a transition time where the Lord t- has brought us back and forth every year. And we've got roles that are, that are um, only fulfilled at, you know, at the office. Jamie runs our year in conference that's how we're back every year, and with administration and stuff, we just have to be back every year now, um, and it's become our new norm, but um, I remember when we first came back, um, the kids were little, and Caleb, Caleb cried every day, at least twice, um, for the first six months, saying, please, can you take me home, like, sometimes the little guy, he'd pack his own backpack, um, slingshot, pair of undies, you know, <laughs> And Nerf gun and bullets. Like, I'm ready to go. That's what he had packed, his little dinosaur backpack, you know. And, and I remember so clearly one day, and Ellie is our generous one. I mean, she'll buy anyone anything. Like, she's always, like, dishing out her cash. And Caleb is, like, the little tight-fisted guy. He's like, that's my money, you know. And I remember one day he came crying. And he was young. I mean, this was several years ago when we first had come back uh, doing more back and forths. And he came crying, and, and he had his backpack packed, and he had taken all of his money out of his little piggy bank, and he said, is this enough money to buy us all tickets home, you know? And the Lord said, you see, it's not just you who's called to the nations. They are called and they're willing to invest into it. And, um, and it really just like, it settled, not that I had had a question about it, but it just solidified that, hey, we're not doing the wrong thing by raising our kids on the mission field. And, and I'll quickly close with another quick testimony is that last week, Caleb came to me and he said, Dad, because they get pocket money every month. We do this sort of like automatic thing into their debit card. Yeah, it's called Greenlight. It's a cool little kid's credit card, debit card that you can get to teach them money and stuff. And, and he said, Dad, I want to I wanna take some of my pocket money and give it to some of our missionaries. So I was like, well, who do you want to give it to? And he said, well, I want to support this guy in Zambia. His name is Eugene. And um, I was like, how much do you want to give him? He's like, I'll give him $15 a month. I was like, dude, you only get $20 a month. Like, that's a big chunk. He goes, yo, okay, well, I'll do 10 then, you know. So, so I signed him up at five. I, should, I didn't want to give him all away. But I signed <laughs> Caleb. I signed Caleb, who's my nine-year-old, our nine-year-old son, is a nine-year-old kid who's supporting another missionary on the field at, fi- at $5 a month, you know. And it came out of his own heart. He, he did it willingly out of his own heart. And immediately afterwards, Ellie came and said, well, I want to do the same. And she started supporting another, a girl at $5 a month. And you're like, it's so cool that they've got the vision of sowing and reaping. They've got the generosity spirit. And they've got the desire to be in the nations. And it's just like what Jamie was saying, like the Lord's hand is upon the whole family. It's not just on us and they're getting dragged behind like a oh, terrible life they get, you know? Terrible parents <laughs> terrible dragging parents. their kids. And people will say that. They'll, people they'll, say we're irresponsible. Irresponsible. How can you put your kids, kids at risk? What about the education? Blah, 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 you know? Yeah. yeah. Wild. Cool, eh? <laughs> so um, there's two pictures there about the kids going on a mission. Oh, yeah. So tell us about this. Oh, um, do we, the kids always see, like, the um, adults going, like, people fly in, and they're all, like, packing tents and getting on a truck, you know, and driving out. And they were like, oh, we just want to go on our own mission, you know? Like, can we do an expedition? So, of course, we couldn't, like, really, like, take them too far out. So, um, we, we... So, packed. what is an expedition? Okay, so an expedition is, is what Jamie first did when she came to Zambia. It's... it's we obviously understand that not everyone's called to full-time in Zambia missions. Not to say we're not all called to full-time ministry in our own environments. You know, we have street ministry here, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so guys will fly out, and they join a team that we've raised up of either one team from a church, such as your church, send like 10 people out. We'll do a team just for you guys. And our expedition leaders pick you up, put you in a truck, tents, cookware, everything like that, and we go out into, the, into a pre assigned village which has been pioneered by our teams and work with the villages that we've we've gone out to and that's we 
as a ministry, we've said you're too, as people coming out to us, you're too valuable to be used in any other capacity. You must be used as a preacher of the gospel. We won't put you in any other capacity. In other words, we're not going to use you to hand out shoes or to paint a church. And again, it's okay if other missions do that, like that's their style of the game. We're like, no, you are a mouthpiece of the Lord, and we will let you, and we will, we will um, edify your spirit man to go out and to preach the gospel to the villages. And we'll, we'll nurture you through that, because not everyone knows how to do that. Yeah, day one. we train people. We train them up. So first night out by the campfire, guys, tomorrow we're going to go out to these villages. We're breaking up into groups of two and threes. You'll each have a Zambian translator who can speak p- pretty much good, great English, but they're not going to know, like, your higher intellectual words. So keep it simple. And they're going to translate directly to you for the people. And they're going to help you if your if analogy is, like, if you're talking about snowballs and street lamps. And the guy's like, they don't have street lamps. They don't have streets. They don't have snow. Like, let's change your analogy. Kind of, they'll help you with that. And, and we nurture guys through that. And we send them out into these remote villages and then come back at night, back to the campfire. Everyone has dinner together, shares stories, testimonies. And we do that. Um, and that's a typical expedition. Yeah, they just, they go home to home, home to basically. Home. Yeah, we used to say hut to hut, but then we realized it's actually not a hut, it's someone's home. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> You know, true. go home to home, sitting with people, no time restraint, go out, sit with the one family the whole day. Like, you don't need to hit 15 people in a day or 20. Like, just get one person. Share the gospel with them. Take time. If you need to, sit, if they're working in the field, sit with them in the field. Help them pick their... Do their work. Their work. And, and minister the gospel. Share the love of Christ with these people. And often we'll do like an evening uh, community meal to bring everyone in and a big soccer match. You know, you, you're always just trying to, it's exactly the same as here. You know, you're trying to bring people in as a, as a method to ministering to them. Whatever your bait is that you're going to put on the hook and the hook is the gospel. Um, and, and we do all sorts of fun things and we keep it entertaining. You know, like it's never a dull moment on a mission trip. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, because our guys have flown all over to Africa, we'll always try if, or Cambodia or wherever, Middle East, we'll always try and reserve a day within the expedition spectrum to, like, see the cool stuff that's in the area you're at. Yeah. So in Zambia, they'll go to the, the little wildlife park that's by us, see elephants and stuff like that, and go see Victoria Falls and buy some what we call curios, which are like little carvings that the local guys do, and they sell them. And then that's normally your last day, and then fly out the next day kind of style, you know? So you took those kids then on one of those expeditions? Well, we, we kind of faked it. You know, they drove out, went to the nearest village, like brought them back, put the campfire out. They didn't get to cook dinner. They all got marshmallows. You yeah. know, no, like. they made PB&Js. Oh, they made PB&Js, yes. you know. They, they, they obviously like two hours in, the kids were all like, yeah, we're tired already. Yeah, we're done. We're ready. We're done. <laughs> but they had a lot of fun. Yeah, just keep it, keep it going, yeah. So you guys are heading back next week, right? Yeah. So tell us a little bit about what your plans are with the King Center and what okay. the next project is coming up. Yeah. And then, Lexi, you can show some of those drawings of um, that building that they're getting ready to put up. Yeah, so this, this project that we're doing is, is um, it's a vision that Phil's picked up on a, on a few years ago. That's, that's Google show SketchUp. That go- show that gorge again. That's, that hasn't been built yet, this thing, in case you guys are wanting to come on holiday. So that's what it's going to overlook. So in that image, there's a swimming pool, which we're not actually going to put in the pool anymore, but the swimming pool would be where I was standing, taking this photo outwards. So that's the direct location. And on, on here, on, on your guys' left, that's Zimbabwe, and on the right of the river is Zambia. So that's the international border between two countries. You can't cross there. You can't cross. That's 600 feet down to the water. Um, so you don't want to go stumbling at nighttime either. Show the one where he's doing the pipes down in the gorge. Oh, yeah. So that's... That, that's part of this project. I'm uh, just down in the, in the gorge there welding um, water can I, line. Can I, yeah. tell a, can I tell a quick story yeah. about this? Yeah. I'm not confused. There. I look very confused. I'm just like, <laughs> I'm just stretching. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so he was down doing this for days. And I had come back. I do ministry in town at one of the local markets. And I had come back and gone down to my house to do some, I don't know, admin, admin work. And um, our little girl, Ellie, runs down to the house crying. It's like three in the afternoon. No, it was like five. Enough. Oh, maybe it was five. I don't know. Wasn't keeping track of time. And she's like, there's a fire. Daddy's in a fire. And I'm like, okay, you're 11. It's like a really dramatic age. I'm sure it's not that bad. Like, let's just, let me just walk you up there. 
we'll just figure it out. So I go up, and uh, a lot of people are out at this time. Like, I don't know, there's probably like five of us full-time staff on the base. All of our Zambian workers have gone home, and I don't think there's another man on base, except for oh, Pete. And sure enough, there is this blazing fire in the gorge all the way down there, and it is covered in smoke and flames, and Kiran is down there. And then I start to panic because <laughs> obviously he's trapped down in the gorge. And it turns out that on, do you want to tell the story of your last weld? On his last weld. Yeah, so I like, this, this is a water pipe. The, the water level rises and falls so much in a narrow gorge over the season. So you can't just throw a pump in and expect it to stay there. Yeah. So we, we, this is what we call well casing. Normally it's vertical in the ground. This time we're doing a kind of at a 45 degree angle to slide a pump in into the, the raging torrents of the Zambezi uh, to protect it so we can pump water up. And I literally was on my last weld, and I had a crew of guys, about seven guys down there. With I mean, we welded together 54 meters of thick-gauge steel, like generators down there. Like It was all-day affair of being up and down the gorge. And literally, as I finished up my last weld, my guy, who he started packing up the stuff, but he, he was supposed to be my fire guy. Um, to watch in case any of the grass that was around there, because you know Africa, dry, dry, dry grass. And that stuff needs a whisper of a flame and it just goes. And, and I just, I lifted up my mask and I turned and I just saw a fire and I was like, dudes, there's a fire. And I called all the guys and I, within seconds, this thing just took off. And because you're on a, a cliff, fire climbs very quickly. And the thing just went ballistic. And it went ballistic. And I, me and a couple of other people, we were just, I mean, I was so helpless. I was with binoculars just making sure him and the guys were still alive and they weren't suffocating down there because the smoke was just swirling and then recycling back down into the, it would just recycle. Wow. And um, the flames came way all the way up to our mission base and basically, like, licked the base. Yeah. And, um... And that's thatch roof and that's stuff. All yes, but fortunately, our boss, Phil, his little um, garage yeah. used to be thatch, but recently he changed it to a metal roof. And had that roof been thatch, yeah. then our entire base would have caught, caught fire and just in yeah. one hour been finished. Wow. So four hours later, we're still fighting fire down there, and eventually we kind of... We didn't, we, you could never contain it, but we stopped it spreading the one way that was going to be make our base more vulnerable, and we let it just go upriver, basically, by itself. Had guys on the top putting out fire, stopping it coming onto the thing, and what, seven, eight at night, come crawling up the gorge, like, <laughs> absolutely finished. Like, <laughs> but we came out, like, we were smiling. And so sick. And then got and so, so sick. sick. For the next week, I was sick he, as a dog. He drank the river water because they ran out of water. And yeah. it was hot with the fire. Yeah. Anyway. It's a quick way of getting hepatitis. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us about the King Center. Oh, back to the King Center. So the King Center... Um, if you can bring up those uh, Google SketchUp videos, uh, that's, that's architectural drawings. The vision behind this place, and it's on our main mission base, we're going to build it. It's, it's about two kilometer, a kilometer away from where we've all done our original buildings. Uh, we work so much with Zambian chiefs. With, uh, now we're really getting into, into Zambian government. We're working with ministers, uh, with, with the president himself a lot of time. One of our main guys is the chaplain to the Zambian president. He's, he's a, he's a colonel, lieutenant in the, in the army. His name's Moffat. He's just a beast of a guy. Uh, and he l preaches like a firestorm, and he loves the Lord. And he ministers to the president, and he's one of our team. And um, we've had this, we, we're always interacting with chiefs, but you must understand there is a cultural honor level that we submit ourselves to in light of respect to chiefs. And the chiefs have to submit themselves to in light of honoring and respecting the people. So it's almost like the monarch in England. Like the queen, as a person, let's say, sitting with us, maybe would be in private, able to act one way. But if she's in front of people, she has to be the queen. 
the chiefs are the same. So you can't just go in and sit with the chief and high-five him and, and, and have a Bible study with him. Like, and you can't sit and have a dinner with the chief and stuff. And you can't bring two chiefs together without all the protocols that go with bringing chiefs together. It's gifts and it's entourage and it's, oh my gosh, it's a headache. Um, so, so we're like, how do we, how do we minister to these guys on an element that is, that is high level, respects their culture, but pulls them away where they can actually be free? where you can actually lay hands on a chief and pray over them. Because a chief's not allowed to sit before a person. You're not allowed to lay hands on a chief. Their, their kapasos, which are their security guards, will take you out because it's against protocol. They're not worried that you're going to hurt the chief. They're like, you're dishonoring the chief. You know, so, so we're fighting all these sort of things. Like, we keep ministering to these guys, but we always are hitting these roadblocks. So Phil had a vision of building a place which, which emporial, he calls it. It's like... It's worthy of an emperor to come to, where we can bring chiefs and invite them. Say, so-and-so chief, bring your wife and come and spend a week with us at this place. It's, it's a boutique-style lodge, not for tourists, but for chiefs, for uh, ministers, which I don't even in America you call them ministers. What, what do we call them here? Like governors, uh, things like that. You want to bring a Zambian governor in and a chief and negotiate between two chiefs while they're fighting with each other all the time. And, and this lodge or this um, king center has the vision of that. Uh, we, we're building 12 chalets or 12 apartments uh, where the chief's, a chief and his wife could come and stay, stay there. And then in this place, we'll have, we'll have meeting rooms, we'll have kitchen, like full dining, kitchens, lounge areas, the ability to sit out. We won't have the pool, but we'll have the fire pit there. Sit around a fire at night and talk with the chief and say, listen, chief, how do we minister to your people? How do you become a minister to people? How do we share the gospel? You know, build them up and strategize. And that's what the whole vision of this place is. Um, and, and we're going to start. We started last year preparing the land. That's why I was doing the water down in the gorge. We've, we've prepared for fresh water at the top. Jeez, like ordering electricity and steel is just oh, electrical supplies has been an absolute nightmare. Um, I might actually even be shipping it from the States right now. Um, because it's so hard to get right now with all the logistical problems. But we're, we're, we're breaking ground this year, um, pouring the, the concrete, building the steel structures, throwing the roofs on. And I predict within the next two to three years, we'll, we'll be fully functional with this uh, building, bringing chiefs Do in. Do you need to get permits? <laughs> <laughs> this is the permit. Where do you want to put that? Yeah, right there. Permission granted. <laughs> there's, there's no permits in Zambia. Nothing. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. So that's exciting, huh? It's exciting. This is actually the first time in Overland's history we actually used an engineer. There is a time we just build. We're like, we use logic, you know? Hey, that thing's skewed. It's not going to work. Make it straight, you know? Yeah. Kind of stuff. <laughs> Google SketchUp gives us like an element of design, but we've never actually gone full engineering like steel trusses and beams and stuff. And we, we ran this through the, the proper way of doing it. And, so what's yeah. this project going to cost? Um, it's a tough one. Fully furnished, well, I'm guessing one and a half to two million. Um, about that point. We've raised 400,000 so far for it, um, which will get us off the ground quite comfortably. And how many chiefs are there in the area, would you say, with like the difference? Zambia chiefs alone has got 280, is it right? Yeah. 280 chiefs. And um, one, one cool thing with the Zambian chiefs is what we developed several years ago is, is a tribal chaplaincy program, which has taken off and it's absolutely changed our entire footprint in the nation. And not just in Zambia, we've overflown out to Zimbabwe, into Botswana, into Angola, into the Congo, all through this tribal chaplaincy program. And what we, what we did was we, we had great relationships with one or two chiefs and came up with a strategy of saying, let us train up a local person who's close to the chief so the chief can select their person and we'll train them up to become a godly voice in that chief's life, a trusted godly voice. And we call them chaplains. And they come to us, and we run them through multiple trainings and, and equipping. We actually we certify them as in like an Overland certificate, their name on it. They get the shirt. They get the badge. They really feel a part of something. And not only do they get trained like once, but we bring them back for multiple training. And they start to sit with these chiefs individually and minister to them. And then when you want to come and visit a chief, you phone the chaplain and say, 
Chaplain, we're coming in to see the chief set up the meeting for us and, and start stirring that relationship that gets us into the chief. We use the biblical model of, like, of the prophet to the kings. Yes. So that's what it's, it's based off of. Yeah. Yeah. Powerful. And it's, uh, it's, it's given, it's like a nitrous oxide boost into our ministry since we started that. We, again, we got 280 chiefs. We've got chaplains, I think, for close to 200 of them right now wow. that we've trained up. And of those 200, I'd say at least 180 of them are saying, can you put a mission base in my, my chiefdom with full-time people? We're like, yeah. we don't even have enough people to touch sides on that, but we will. And, and yeah. now they're reaching out to the queens. So a chief's wife, Just she is the queen. queen yeah. And now the, the women in the tribal chaplaincy program are reaching out to the queens and doing training with the queens and bringing people in to minister to them as well and not just to the chiefs. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Pretty amazing, right? Yeah, it's awesome. So just in closing, let's run through a couple of those pictures with them and their family and then kind of just give us some highlights of what these pictures are. Yeah, of course. Um, that's a guy we ministered to in Jordan when we were there. That's actually in Petra. I don't know if any of you have traveled to Jordan. Just an incredibly nice guy, and we got to sit with him and have a cup of tea in his little store and share the love of Christ with him. Of course, you've got to ride camels when you're in Jordan. <laughs> um, that's us just in, uh, is that, that's Jerash. Um, just enjoying the town. Actually, our team was ministering in that area, and we went south. There's a guy, a security guard in that town that we got to. To minister so with. that's a security outfit then? That's what they yeah, wear? It's like a real traditional security outfit for, for a tourism area and stuff. Yeah. Um, there's Jamie teaching. This year we, we've launched a, a training program. Our, our, our sectors that we call them or our countries are divided into little smaller per, like uh, counties. You'd call, we call them sectors. And each of, most of our sectors start to train up through a, a program called uh, OMT, which is Overland Mission Training for their local guys. This is in Zanzibar. Uh, they've run a very successful training. It's like AMT on a smaller scale for, for local, local disciples that they're going to launch into full-time ministry and fund. So the cool thing, if you look at this photo, you see um, one, well, uh, Abraham sitting next to um, Jamie is is one of our staff, and then you've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight guys, oh, girls too, who are Zanzibarian, born and raised, been ministered to by our, our team over a long period of time, now going through a mission training of their own to become full-time missionaries, raising their own support, self-funded, to Zanzibar and to Tanzania. Well, we fund them, but like... Yeah. In other words, they're not getting a salary from an outside source. It's in-house funding. Uh, and Jamie's teaching. We went up and taught for a, a couple of weeks there. That's, that's in Zanzibar. That's down in the town of Zanzibar, Stone Town. Just an incredibly cool little place. And you can see the Muslim kids there and stuff like that. And they, they are so, like, traditional Muslim. They have no idea why they're Muslim. It's just the Doors of Zanzibar. Are. The Doors of Zanzibar. <laughs> Sorry, it's famous. a famous thing. The Doors of Zanzibar is very famous. <laughs> <laughs> um, just another, like... Typical guy you'd see in Zanzibar. Spent a lot of time chatting with this guy. Um, really sweet guy. Oh, oh this, this young woman, if I could just speak briefly on her. This was during my time in the market in, um, where we are in Livingston. And this is called Maramba Market. And a friend um, and I, we go out and we do evangelism. We started it as evangelism. But as we started to get to know the women, we were trying to take it further into discipleship. Well, this was during the beginnings of our time evangelizing at this local market. And this young woman came up to me one day when we were praying over women and said, you know, I want to speak to you privately. So I took her over to a quiet place and she told me the story of how her husband had cheated on her and had left her and she has kids and she was contemplating and planning suicide. She, but first she was going to murder her children and then she was going to take her own life. And so I asked her if she had ever heard about Jesus, and she said yes, but she hadn't received Jesus as her Lord and Savior. So I said, okay, do you want to receive Jesus? Because he will take all of this pain from you, and he will lift you out of this situation. And we prayed, and she received Jesus. 
And I started to minister to her on, you know, the spirit of suicide. And she said, no, no, no. I don't even need to hear that. I feel like I'm a new person. And that was it. (laughs) And I just love it because that was an amazing miracle. And miracles are actually, they're not difficult. It's not difficult. It was so simple. It was just all the Lord. It was just him that did it. I think so often we put ourselves into the middle of that miracle to make it happen when it's all being reliant on the Holy Spirit and what he wants to do. So That's so good. There's more of Jamie's. Oh, there's Chantal. She's yes. like, she is. And Sharon one. over here, she's a local Zambian uh, that ministers. And all these women are now praying for each other at the market. So anybody that gets sick, they just, they just pray for each other, which is awesome. <laughs> this, this lady, Chantal, the, she's on, on my right here. She, she is the wildest, fieriest, most energetic, loudest person in the market. She, there's nobody's a stranger. Nobody escapes her. Hey, you, don't run away. Come back here. <laughs> I will tell you about the love of God. Just as so, we got such fun people in our team, you know? I love people like South that. African woman. Yes. Wow. Just more time in the market. And all these women are receiving the Holy Spirit, too, on, like, day one. <laughs> Chantel's like, yeah. let me pray for you. Also, do you want to receive the Holy Spirit? Okay, <laughs> let's go. And bam. And After they're just, the like, crying and weeping in the market. The time is short. Yeah, um, but you can see in that market photo back there, like how there's dried fish and like I don't even can't see it here, but there's tomatoes. Like that meaty looking stuff is dried fish, and there's often like tons of flies on it. And kids live in that kind of market area. It's not the prettiest environment to be in, but like I said actually earlier, you dig for treasures, and the people oh, yeah. are always your treasure. It's you know? hot and sweaty yeah. in that market. It's hot and sweaty, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And, and this is me with a traditional leader. This is Queen Ashima. This is from that area that we pioneered in Zambezi. And I became quite close with this woman. She loves the Lord so passionately. And yeah, she's just amazing. And me with a couple of my disciples also in Zambezi. This is when I said my official goodbye to them. It was very hard. I cried lots of tears. And she was my main disciple, Rachel. She, yeah. She's so sweet. That's awesome. Um, when Jamie left and the, the old ladies were there, as a blessing in Zambia, they spit on you. No. Yes, yeah. all over me. Kieran, I got in the car. Kieran was like, why are you wet? I was like, I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> Strange cultures. Forget coronavirus. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. Immune booster. And these are the little old ladies. I would go. They lived, like, I don't know, 30 feet from my local. Why are you wet? (laughs) They lived, like, 30 feet from my local, like, revival women's meeting, and I'd go and pick them all up in our pickup truck, and, yeah, they just can't walk. They're just old. They're so old. Do you spit on them ever? I never have tried, <laughs> but I will. It'd be a blessing. It would be a blessing. <laughs> Don't hold back. <laughs> awesome. I love it. So thanks for taking time to share about your lives and thanks what you guys are us. doing. We love you guys. Yeah. So glad that we can be a part of uh, what you guys are doing on the field. And uh, will you pray for our people today? Yeah. Yeah, and I, just what Pastor Nick just said, like, we are a team, uh, and we don't say that lightly, you know, I, um, I love that scripture where, at the woman, woman of the well, where Jesus is ministering, and, and his disciples go out, and they come back, and then he says, lift up your eyes and see that the harvest is white, and, and, and then he explains to the, the, the um, disciples that we enter into each other's labors, for one sows and another reaps, and you reap that which you have not sown, and you know, the reality is if we can't see ourselves as a unified body of Christ and a team that we both enter into each other's labors, and it's not even like, it's not like, oh, well, you get that, and I get to, you know, imagine that I'm a part of it or cheer you along because I'm your friend. No, it's like it's literally we're each other apart as much and fully a part of it. It's like 
I forget what it's called, when you sign someone else's like debt, you're like, I'll promise to pay that bill, you know, yeah. co-signing or whatever it's called. Like you're as responsible for that debt as the person that took it out, you know, like that's how it is. We've co-signed with each other to say we're responsible for these people. And we are so grateful. We are always boast about this church and about your love and your generosity. Jamie and I, we, we've never been in a more generous church and surrounded by more generous people than Nick and Misty. And you guys really do sustain us on the field in so many ways. And it doesn't go unnoticed and doesn't go unforgotten. Um, I know when we're apart, we may not be like texting each other every day. But the reality is when we come back and we share testimonies, share stories about what's happened, um, it builds up our faith and it reminds us of the things that we've done. Um, and, let, and let me just say, People in our um, admin, admin office in the States message me just to find out who you are because your generosity is so significant. Uh, you are famous. <laughs> but really, like, and honestly, like, we, we've spoken and shared at churches that are like 500 people, 600 people. And it's amazing how that just, the more people doesn't equate more generosity. It just is not, it's the heart of the church and the leaders that equates to the generosity. And, you know, the weight of, of pure ministries is massive in our lives. And it doesn't go unnoticed. And we are hugely grateful for each and every one of you guys. So, yeah, well, we'd love awesome. to pray. We'd love to pray. And yeah, just, just pray the blessing of... Come on. You want to go for it? You can okay. stand if you want to preach, pray. Whatever preach you want to do. Preach in prayer. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, let's just stand yeah. and... Here's, here's what I want you guys to know is that, remember I told you that when you sow into something, there's people on the other end that are getting blessed, and they're thanking God. Yeah. And there is a blessing that gets released because we're sowing into the mission field, yeah. right? Yeah. And I want you to receive that blessing today as they pray, because yeah. it's going to get imparted to you. Can you say amen? Amen. Yeah, go for it. Go for it. I knew you had it. Father, I thank you so much for all of these people that are here today. Yes, Lord. Father, I thank you that you are readying their feet to take the gospel to the most remote places of this city, of this state, of this country, wherever you have called them, Lord. I can just see you um, just staring down at their feet and seeing how beautiful and declaring how beautiful their feet are because they are the ministers that bring glad tidings unto the people of Fort Pierce mm -hmm. and the surrounding area. Father, I thank you that this church and the, the members of this church, they will be widely known throughout the area as the people that carry love and peace, that carry healing, that walk in authority, Father, people that have words of knowledge and words of wisdom that see miracles, signs, and wonders because they follow the love of Christ that is so deeply embedded in their hearts. Mm. Father, I thank you that <laughs> you have so many blessings in store for them. Yes, Lord. For every, for every single person in here. Nobody is looked over. Nobody is forgotten. Everybody is is just right there at the forefront of your mind at the they are the apple of your eye mm. father they walk in your blessing i believe that the enemy would like you to feel in the natural that you don't live in blessing but the lord is saying that you live in his blessing regardless that it's not about what you see around you. It's about what is inside of you. Yeah. That you are blessed because the kingdom of God is inside of you. His love and his heart and his peace, they are all inside of you. You are ruling and reigning in this life. The Lord has set you up with everything that you need to rule and reign in this life. And for those of you that feel yes, like Lord. you have been beaten down by circumstances over and over and over again, the Lord is lifting you up out of those circumstances. You are not going to be in this vicious cycle, this pattern where things are just <laughs> not working out, but the Lord is the one that causes them to work out. And his hand is strong in your life, and you have to believe it. And it's not difficult to believe it. You just believe it. It's not this formula that you have to, to sort out in your mind. It's not a long division algebra problem. It's literally believe on the Lord Jesus. Yes. It is so simple. And there are, there are no burdens that come with that because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Yes. Thank, you, God. Thank you, Lord. Yes, Lord.
Oh, Father, we just are so, so indebted to your, your grace over our lives that you have not overlooked any of us. You have not overshadowed any of us. You have not bypassed any of us. But we are all ministers in your hand. We are all the tangible touch of your love to the nations, Lord. We get the privilege of being able to carry forth your love and touch people with it and change their lives through the finished work of the gospel that you poured out so lavishly on each and every one who would, who would receive it. And we are privileged to be co-laborers with you, Father God, to carry your word to the nations, not neglecting the, our neighbor and not neglecting the furthest people to reach with your word. Lord, I just thank you for Nick and Misty and their leadership, their wisdom, their grace, their understanding upon not only this direct church right here, but the entire city that's around them, the schools that they run, the kids that they minister to, Father God. I thank you for infusing them with wisdom, with understanding, with creativity, with the ability to, to not only problem solve where problems may come up, but to do it in such a way where the problem has become has been solved in such a way that it's a blessing and an overflow to, to them and to the surrounding community where people look at it and go, how did you do such things? And they can but only share of your wisdom and your grace and your love in their lives, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for the generosity, generous heart, the generosity of each and every person in this, in this body of Christ, each and every person that is, has been willing to sacrifice out of their, their um, provision for the sake of the kingdom, for the sake of the gospel. We thank you for the partnership that we are able to come up and be a part of, that we are, we are one body in you, Father God, and that we are able to represent each other. We're able to enter into each other's labors, labors in the nations, in the field, that, that we represent you wherever we go as a body of Christ, Lord. I thank you, Lord, that the way into the gospel is not difficult, that you've shown how easy it is. You don't need special training. You don't need anything high-end equipping because you equip the called, Lord. You equip the called. And if we are willing to take that step, you equip us, Father God. And we thank you, Lord, that you, you place that seed of faith in us. And that faith grows into a mighty tree that the birds may rest in and, and may provide shade for those around us, Lord. But it is you who gave us that seed. And the fullness of whatever is needed is in that seed. Nothing more is needed to be added. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, for the privilege and the honor that it is to be ambassadors of your kingdom. And I just speak a blessing over each and every person in this building right now, a blessing of wisdom, of understanding, creativity to, to, to generate outside sources of income for your kingdom, Lord, to be able to problem solve and solve for things that other people would look at and have no idea of how to, how to get around that that there may be a light and a voice to their community where people will come to them and say, I know you have the wisdom, the, the ability to solve this problem that I'm in, and they will be able to share your love and your grace with the people around them, Lord. Thank you for your, for your ever-sustaining love that is in our lives. And again, we just bless Nick and Misty, and we're grateful and we love them, and we're so honored and privileged to be friends and family with such wonderful people. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. Come on, give it up for Jamie and Karen. Love you, guys.